beginning in verse 22. Now, when the days of your purification according to the law of Moses were completed, meaning Mary's purification, they brought, they, Joseph and Mary, brought him, Jesus, to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord, as it is written in the law of the Lord. Every male who opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord. And to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. And behold, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And this man was just and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. So he came by the Spirit into the temple. And when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, Now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared before the face of all peoples, a light to bring revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. And Joseph and his mother marveled at these things which were spoken of him. Then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary his mother, Behold, this child is destined for the fall and rising of many in Israel and for a sign which will be spoken against. Yes, a sword will pierce through your own soul also, that the thoughts of many hearts may be revealed. Now there was one Anna, a prophetess, the daughter of Phanuel of the tribe of Asher. She was of a great age and had lived with a husband seven years from her virginity. And this woman was a widow of about 84 years who did not depart from the temple but served God with fastings and prayers night and day. And coming in that instant, she gave thanks to the Lord and spoke of him to all those who looked for redemption in Jerusalem. So when they had performed all the things according to the law of the Lord, they returned to Galilee to their own city, Nazareth. And the child grew and became strong in spirit, filled with wisdom, and the grace of God was upon him. As we have gone through steadily through this narrative, we find in the Gospel of Mark, what, have been, what has been the common element of the surroundings? The angel Gabriel comes to a, an unknown teenage girl, probably 15 or 16 years old. That was the standard age for marriage. 15 or 16 years old, and he comes to her and says that she is going to be the vehicle through whom God brings redemption to the world. 
Put yourself in that place. Who is she? An unknown in a frankly disregarded city of Nazareth. Can any good thing come out of Nazareth? She is betrothed. There is a legal contract on, on file at their version of the, of the county courthouse. And she gets this announcement. The marriage has not taken place, but they have a contract. They are betrothed. She's betrothed to Joseph, and she receives this. You are going to give birth to the promised Messiah. Isaiah 7, 14, 700 years before, the Holy Spirit said through the pen of Isaiah, Behold, the virgin, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and you will call his name Emmanuel, God with us. Which is a commentary from Genesis 3 where the fall of man has just been engineered by the serpent, Lucifer incarnate. He's engineered the fall of man. He believes he has created an unsolvable problem. He's just playing into God's hands. Okay, I'm, this is speculation, okay? Bear with me, folks. Why did God create anything? Why did, cre- why did he create the heavens and the earth? Why did he create angels? Why did he create the human race? Why did he create all the creatures, living creatures of any kind? Especially, let's talk about the sentient creatures the, the, who can get something idea of the angels and the human race. Why? Because God is a personal being. Even the Trinity, I can't remember this fellow's name, Jewish philosopher, I believe he taught at Princeton, atheist. He became a Christian. You know why? Because of the more forthright statement in the New Testament of the triunity of God. God is three persons in fellowship together. One God who is three persons. And that blew his mind. Here is a God who is a personal God, and he created the universe. Why? To create other sentient beings with whom he could enjoy fellowship. Angels, many classes, all kinds of different kinds of angels, by the way. The human race, why? To have fellowship with us. But before the creation of the human race, there had been the fall of the Lucifer, led an angelic rebellion against God. Lucifer and a third of the angels rebelled against God, and God condemned them. He created the lake of fire. The lake of fire has existed ever since. That's the ultimate destiny. That's why it was created, not for human race. Matthew 25, the, the lake of fire was created for the devil and his angels. Lucifer then witnesses God refashioning the earth, creating the human race. Well, by the way, God took the earth away from the angels. It had been an angelic domain. He gave it to this guy, Dusty, 
That's what Adam means, dirt, dust. Gives it to the, to the dust creatures, Adam and Eve. He gives it to them. And then the serpent comes. If I can get them to sin, I've just completely wrecked God's plan. And so he engineers the fall of man. And God says, <coughs> no, uh-uh. Actually, by means of the fall of by what you've done, I'm actually going to be able to unveil more about myself to these sentient beings, the human race and angels, than otherwise. Lucifer didn't know that there was such a thing as mercy. He didn't get mercy. Those angels who joined him in the rebellion, they weren't offered forgiveness. They weren't offered redemption. They're condemned to the lake of fire. He doesn't know mercy exists. And God says, I'm going to, from the woman, I'm going to make a seed from the woman, and he is going to bruise your head, a killing blow. You're going to bruise his heel. And the entire men and angels are going to discover something about me, the triune God, that I am a God of mercy. Not only am I a God of mercy, I am a God of love. I will actually take the pain of redeeming you upon myself. And so when God the Son became flesh, true God, Nicene Creed has it exactly right, true God of true God, true man of true man, joined together in one person. Not half man, half God, fully God, fully man, joined together in one person. And so when he went to the cross, the value of who Jesus is is so immense that he could pay sin's penalty for the entire human race. And he did. And so all that a human being needs to do to benefit from that work is say, please, may I have that benefit? I believe you've done the work for me. May I have? And God's uniform answer is yes, 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 you may. Yes, you. And Satan is chewing his tongue. He is so angry. God has blown it up in his face. And men and angels know something about God we otherwise would never have known. His mercy, his grace, his love, his compassion. As the narrative unfolds, the angel Gabriel comes to this never-heard-of girl in the shrugged-off town of Nazareth and says, you are going to be the one who will be the vehicle through whom the seed of the woman will come. And then that same angel speaks to the man to whom she's betrothed. You, Well, I'm going to have to divorce her. She's been playing around on me. I'm going to have to... No, 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 no. What has been conceived in her, Joseph, is of God, is of the Holy Spirit, is the fulfillment of Hebrew prophecy. And so they have their formal marriage, and then God pushes the buttons. Uh, uh, he, he incites that uh, emperor over in Rome. 
and says, okay, it's time to uh, start setting things in place to tax the people. And so you need to, and so the Roman emperor sends everybody to their hometowns so they can register for future tax purposes. And of course, that sends Joseph and Mary to the hometown of David, or excuse me, Joseph is the descendant of David, by the way, so is Mary. They go to Bethlehem, the hometown of David, and they get there to the, to the family compound of the descendants of David, and it's packed. It's packed. And so there's no place left for them. They're the last ones to show up, so they go to the stable cave, and that's where Mary gives birth. They lay the infant into the feed trough, the manger, and then an angel appears to the shepherds out in the fields. To the shepherds. It doesn't go to the big-time guys in Jerusalem, which isn't very far away. He goes to the shepherds, probably the shepherds of the temple flock from which the lambs for Passover come. He goes to those shepherds, this angel does, and announces to them the coming of the Messiah, the coming of the gift, the promised gift, the coming Redeemer. And then all of a sudden the heavens are filled with an angelic chorus and brightness of God is everywhere, and they are overwhelmed by the glorious chorus. What strikes their ears, what strikes their eyes is overwhelming. And when it's finished... Okay, let's go. And they go and find the child laid in the manger, the feed trough, probably the very stable cave where the temple flock lambs were brought to be inspected. And it says in the narrative, and when Jesus was born, he was wrapped in a swaddling cloth. Well, they had stacks of them there because they were what they wrapped the lambs in that were destined to be the lambs for the Passover. And so here is the Lamb of God who will take away the sins of the world who is wrapped in a swaddling cloth meant for sacrificial lambs. And they come in and they worship Him. They worship Him. And then Mary... And Joseph, 40 days later, this is what the book of Leviticus, if, it was, uh, if, if, if a mother gave birth to a male child, 40 days of uncleanness, and then go to the temple and present a sacrifice. If, it's, if she gives birth to a girl child, it's 66 days. I don't know why, but it was. Well, 40 days, they go. And by the way, it's a very short walk from Bethlehem to J Jerusalem. It's not very far. They go from Bethlehem to Jerusalem. They go into the temple. And here they are met by Simeon and then by Anna. Two people governed by the Holy Spirit, both of a prophet and a prophetess, who have been waiting and waiting and waiting. God promised. Was it worth the wait? Just as we saw in the earliest narrative in Luke's Gospel where Zacharias, the father of John the Baptist, and his wife Elizabeth, 
that prayer you've been praying, Zacharias, that your wife would have a prayer he probably had stopped praying 20 or 30 years before, is being answered. Your wife, Elizabeth, will bear a son. Oh, by the way, he will be the forerunner, the herald of the Messiah. Was it worth the wait? It's always worth the wait to do God's thing in God's time. Always. You'll always be glad. Oh, man, I'm glad I didn't push. Now we all do, okay? We all try to help God out. Stop it. Stop it. (laughs) I'm saying that to myself as much as to anybody here. What do we find here in the narrative? Now, when the days of her purification, verse 22, according to the law of Moses, were completed, they brought him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. By the way, what is this about? What is this presentation of him? Well, in the Exodus, the final plague, the tenth plague of the Exodus, was the death of the firstborn. Now, the Jews firstborn, those Jews who believed God, the the firstborn of the Jews were protected. Or, by the way, if you were an Egyptian who believed in the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, you could do this too. If you sacrificed the lamb, as God said, and then you have the lamb hanging by a hook beside the door. And by the way, I learned this from a Jewish fellow. <laughs> the lamb would ha- and the blood from the carcass would go into this trough in front of the door. And then it was take a hyssop sprig, dip it in that, and strike the lintel and the doorposts. Not paint, no, strike like with a hammer. You strike. And what would happen? The angel who would be bringing death to the firstborn would pass over your house. So even if you were an Egyptian, if you did that, the death angel would pass over your house. But what does God say? Okay, from now on, the firstborn son of every family belongs to me. Why? Because I spared them. I spared them. And so, every time a firstborn son was born, not every son, take it easy, not every son, just the firstborn son, you went to the temple, the tabernacle, or later the temple, and you presented an offering. Now, if you, had, if you were wealthy enough, it would be a lamb. If you were poor, Mary and Joseph, it could be two turtle doves or two pigeons. They're presenting the poor people's offering. And that was God's way of, of that was their acknowledgement our firstborn son belongs to you. We are thanking you for what you've done. By the way, it also moved, if they were not of the tribe of Levi, it me, it, every firstborn son had priestly responsibility. But in the book of Leviticus, priestly responsibility was transferred from the firstborn son of every tribe but Le- Levi to a Levitical priest. So Jesus' Levitical priesthood responsibilities, his priestly responsibilities are handed off to a member of the tribe of Levi, except Jesus is the exception. Is Jesus, Jesus is our high priest, right? But he's not a high priest from the Levitical line. He is a high priest after the order of Melchizedek. Melchizedek was that priest that Abraham gave offerings to. 
Psalm 110. David says, quote, God pushes through David's pen. You, my son, are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek, completely outside the Israeli system. Jesus is our high priest according to the order of Melchizedek, whose name means king of righteousness. And so Jesus did not separate himself from that priesthood, but only from his firstborn son in Israel priesthood. So here we are. They're coming in with their son. They present the poor people's offering. And behold, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And this man was just and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it was revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. He is an old man. We don't know how long ago he got this promise, but he's been waiting and waiting and waiting and waiting. But he's been believing and believing and believing and believing and believing. And now, will we be able to say, along with Zacharias and Elizabeth, who, were wait- who awaited for John the Baptist, yes, it was worth the wait. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. Who is this guy? He's you. What made him a welcome person in the presence of God? What elevated him that he would have this role of seeing? Because God loves mercy. Because God loves grace. Because God loves us. Every single one of God's people is indwelt. You are indwelt by God, the Holy Spirit. When you came to faith in Jesus Christ, God himself took up residence in you. Who in the world are we? We're a glove that got washed by the blood of Jesus And the Holy Spirit takes up residence within us to be all who He is in our life experience. That's who. God loves grace. And you know what Satan's doing? He's grinding his teeth. He was the head angel. Read Ezekiel 28. He was the head angel. He was at the top of the angelic pyramid. What are we? Dust creatures. We're sons and daughters of Adam. Dusty. And we're indwelt by the Holy Spirit. <coughs> Simeon, you will see the consolation. And he waits and, and then he sees. Oh, I would dare say he couldn't he could barely contain himself. He came by the Spirit, by the Spirit incitement into the temple. And when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and blessed God. Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared before the face of all peoples. 
a light to bring revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. Let me tell you something. As we read the Hebrew Scriptures... And we read all these prophecies. I just love this. I learned this many years ago when I got a little bit of Hebrew teaching. All that stuff that we read in the future tense in those prophetic passages, it's actually written in Hebrew. It's actually in the past tense. It's actually called the prophetic perfect. It's written as if it's already happened. That's standard Hebrew grammar. It's written in the past tense. Why? Because it's so certain. If God said it, it is as sure as being done. It's already been done. That's how certain it is. God doesn't say, well, I'm going to do my best to make this happen. No. It's as good as done. If I say it, it's going to happen, period, right down to the syllable. It's called the prophetic perfect in Hebrew grammar. Now, in, as we translate it in English, we put it in the future tense, but in the Hebrew, it's in the past that perfect tense. Lord, now you're letting your servant depart in peace according to your word, for my eyes have seen your salvation. This is the one who's going to bring to pass the fulfillment of all the Hebrew prophets have cried out to us which you have prepared before the face of all peoples, a light to bring revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel, the Abrahamic covenant. I will bless you, and you will be a blessing to all the nations of the earth. Abraham, that will arise out of your line. And Joseph and his mother marveled at those things which were spoken of him. Well, you can only imagine. This is your baby. Yes, I know a Gabriel spoke to her. I know Gabriel spoke to me. I know we've seen all this stuff, but here's another. You've got to be wondering, how can this be? I could get it if it was Jason. I'd get it if it was Bob. But me? No. I know me. I wouldn't pick me. God says, That's the very reason why I pick you, because I'm the qualifier. Ladies and gentlemen, the thing to draw is our brother indicated, focus on the real message of Christmas. It's not Santa Claus. It's it's his gift to us. It is his qualifying us for kingdom, welcome, and glory. You, me, and God knows us. You think, oh, man. Mark, you don't know me. You don't know. Oh, let me tell you what. You are a whole lot worse than you think you are. And so am I. But God loves us knowing it. By the way, that only heightens Satan's shame. (laughs) God's good at it. Joseph and his mother marveled at these things which were spoken of him. Then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary his mother, words she needed to hear, though I'm sure that they were difficult. Behold, this child is destined for the fall and rising of many in Israel, and all you have to do is read the gospel narratives, and boy, do you find conflict all around Jesus. People who would not receive the truth, as we were talking about earlier in the Sunday school, adult Sunday school class, when Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead, 
John chapter 11, John chapter 12, the Jewish leadership decides they have to kill Lazarus because he's too big a proof for Jesus. Well, why don't you look at the evidence, look at the proof, instead of trying to kill it, because that's how wicked they and we, apart from God's help, are. This child is destined for the fall and rising of many in Israel and for a sign which will be spoken against. Yes, the sword will pierce through your own soul also. The thoughts of many hearts may be revealed. It's when Jesus showed up. It's when Jesus did his mighty acts. That when Jesus forgave people who were supposed to be unforgivable, let him who among you is without sin cast the first stone. And then Jesus forgave the unforgivable, they thought. The thoughts of many hearts will be revealed. And that sure did happen. It is happening today. Now, there was one Anna, a prophetess, the daughter of Phanuel of the tribe of Asher. She was of a great age and had lived with her husband seven years from her virginity. Well, let's say she got married when she was 16. Married for seven years, 23. She's been a widow for 84 years. This woman's pushing 110. And she's been a fixture there in the temple. She did not depart from the temple, but served God with fastings and prayers night and day. And coming in that instant, she gave thanks to the Lord and spoke of him, spoke of him to all those who looked for redemption in Jerusalem. And she stayed in the temple as she had. And everyone who comes in that she knows is looking for that same Redeemer, she lets them know what she witnessed from the mouth of Simeon, that she and she too saw that child. Redemption is on the way. The Redeemer has been born. So when they had performed all the things according to the law of the Lord, they returned to Galilee, that despised place, to their own city, Nazareth, that despised town. And the child grew and became strong in spirit, filled with wisdom, and the grace, the provision of God was upon him. And I'll leave it to you to read the next paragraph, which is about Jesus when he's 12 years old, going up into the temple and just knocking the socks off <laughs> the rabbis there. As our brother said, what are we to draw from the Christmas event? God has qualified the disqualified. He is the gift. He himself is the gift that we are to embrace. Let me change that. Allow yourself to be embraced by. He is the pursuer. He is the aggressive gift giver who is himself the gift. And we can just be so grateful that he tracked us down. We were that lost lamb caught in the thorns that the shepherd left the 99 and went out and put his shepherd's crook around, 
pulled us out of the thorns, threw us on his shoulders, and brought us home rejoicing. That is the testimony of every single redeemed one. And we can give praise and thanks to him. And we won't even be able to get our minds wrapped around that with true fullness until we step into his presence. And he gives us resurrection brains and bodies <laughs> to be able to stretch somewhat around that. Somewhat around that. And we will be reveling in that together day after day after day. And I love this greatest of all. I'm going to call it the greatest of all promises in the scripture. Revelation 21. And Jesus himself will tabernacle with us throughout his kingdom, the eternal reign. He will hang out. Jesus is going to be hanging out with us. He's going to be sitting at the table with us. That same one into whose presence the, whole, the high priest was scared. He had to go in once a year and present that offering for himself and then come out and then bring in the offering for the people once a year on, on the Day of Atonement. And if that high priest made one single mistake, dead. Now, it never happened, but he had bells on the bottom on the hem of his garment. Why? Because they, as they listened for the bell, if the bell stopped ringing or when they heard a thud, they would t- take the rope that they had tied around his ankle because nobody's going in there they would, and pull him out. We will be dwelling in the... He will be tabernacling with us, it says. Is there any more powerful proof of the grace and mercy of God and his authentic love for us? No, there isn't. Let's give praise to him. Our Father, we thank you that you allow us, you've in fact encouraged us to call you Father. So great is your devotion to us. So great is your love for us that you gave your Son, you sent God the Son. What a heart-wrenching act that was to send your Son to ultimately go to a cross where you would pour out what amounted to an eternity in the lake of fire to do the entire human race upon your Son while on the cross so that he could pay sin's penalty for us. You loved us so much that you sent him. He loved us so much that he went. Thank you for that gift, mighty gift giver. In your name, Jesus. In your name, Father. In your name, triune God. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. We offer this this word of praise to you and thanks. Amen. I'm going to invite you.